This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon. This afternoon's talk I've entitled A Chosen Generation, words taken from the first epistle of Peter and chapter 2. We're going to see this afternoon how God's people, the nation of Israel, for the most part failed to live up to their responsibilities and how we, as Gentiles, can occupy the position formerly held by them. How that high and holy and exalted position to which Israel were called and on the most part refused to take up is now ours either to accept or refuse through the good news of the gospel. Our introductory reading was taken from Matthew chapter 6 but I want to base this afternoon's thoughts as we can see or we could see (laughs) on the screen. It's on my laptop anyway, it's gone blank here, uh, based on Isaiah chapters 58 and 59. There you go. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 58. The chapter begins by these words, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. That's what God said to the uh, prophet Isaiah. And that's what he was told to do. And I wonder how Isaiah would feel when he received such commission. You know, nobody likes to be told their faults, even quietly and in a spirit of meekness. But this wasn't to be like that, was it? The prophet was told by God to cry aloud, don't spare, lift up your voice like the sound of a trumpet. And these weren't minor offences either, or minor faults. They were, this was wickedness. Uh, This was transgression and sin committed by uh, God's people. And I don't suppose they like to be told about it either. And it certainly wasn't a very pleasant task for the prophet either, was it? You know, not one of the prophets of Israel or Judah had an easy task. It's recorded of many of them that they felt inadequate for the work that they had been asked to do. You remember that when Isaiah had seen that wonderful vision of the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up and He heard those words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He confessed his utter inadequacy. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And it was necessary for God to strengthen him. The record tells us that he was cleansed by God with fire from the altar, and then he was asked again by God, who, will, who shall I send and who will go for me? And, uh, or go for us? And his response was then immediate. 
Here am I, he said, send me. God said, go and tell this people. And Elijah had a similar experience. He had to be strengthened by God after expressing his total inadequacy for the work that God had asked him to do. Jeremiah had said, I cannot speak for I am a child. He didn't want to do what God had asked him to do. And it was necessary for God to strengthen him. Say not I am a child, God said, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. I have made thee, he said, a defence city, an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and the princes thereof. They shall fight against thee, God said, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. And so difficult was Jeremiah's task that he decided he'd had enough, and he couldn't speak anymore in God's name. But the record tells us that he said God's word was in his heart as a burning fire shut up in his bones. And he said, I am weary with forbearing and I could not stay. And basically, this is what Peter tells us about in the New Testament when he talks about holy men of God. He said, holy men of God spake as they were moved or borne along, that means, by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. And there are many other instances in God's word. Jonah was instructed to go to Nineveh, you remember, and to proclaim yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And he didn't want to go. And he tried to run away. And I'm sure we all remember what happened. And Ezekiel is another example of a prophet who had to carry out some terrible tasks and things in God's name. He had to lift up his voice and cause Jerusalem to know her abomination. Son of man... God said, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. If thou warn them not, their blood will I require at thy hand. And surely in that verse there's a lesson to us today. Because we are called to be watchmen in these closing days of opportunity for the world we live in today. To proclaim the good news of the gospel uh, to those who will listen. So back to Isaiah chapter 58. What was it that had grieved God so much in Isaiah's day? Well there certainly wasn't any lack of religious observation. In fact there was plenty of it. Verse 2 says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God... They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. And reading verses like that, we might say, well, what's the problem? What's wrong? On the face of it, things, things seem fine. But they weren't really fine at all. In fact, if we ne read the next few verses, we shall find out what was really wrong. You see, outwardly, they appeared to delight in approaching to God. But it wasn't genuine. 
It was, as the Apostle Paul describes, as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And sadly, the nation hadn't changed one bit, even in the time of Jesus Christ. They fasted. There was, there was lots of outward show, but it was false. Jesus calls them hypocrites, and that means play actors. And Jesus exhorts his disciples not to be like that. He says, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they shall have their reward. And they'd failed in Isaiah's day. They afflicted the soul, we read, but God doesn't see as man sees. And let's hope this works now. Look at verse 4 of, of Isaiah chapter 58. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smile with the fist, smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? Those verses remind us, I think, don't they, of that parable which Jesus taught about the Pharisee and the publican who went up to the temple, we read, to pray. The Pharisee said, I, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Whilst the publican could only say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus pronounced the verdict. Speaking of the publican, he said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee prayed with himself and he never got through to God. The publican's confession got through to the throne of grace and he went away justified. The sad thing was though that the Pharisee didn't realise and the people to whom Isaiah is speaking in these chapters were also in that category. To all outward appearances they had done all that was required of them. But their heart was not right with God. In another context, but establishing the same principle, God says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so the next verses in our chapter, God says, in effect, this is what I am looking for. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that, that are cast out of thy house? When thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. And the result of that kind of life, the blessings accruing to the nation from this kind of worship, are 
beautifully described in the verses which follow in the chapter. We read, Then, God says, shall thy light break forth. And this was God's purpose with his nation. That they should show, or should be a light, to the around surrounding nations. Thine health shall spring forth speedily. God had promised that if they were obedient, then they would be not, not be afflicted by the diseases of the nations of Canaan. None of these diseases, God said, will I bring upon thee. And they were to be a righteous nation, doing righteously and showing forth the, the glory of God. And such a nation could call upon God and he would hear and he would answer them. And he would guide them as he'd done so for 40 years in the wilderness so that they lacked no good thing. But sadly, the nation failed. And God's Sabbath, instead of bringing rest and peace and the renewal of the mind, had become a burden to them. They said, in effect, what a burden it is. When will the Sabbath be passed that we may get on with the things of this life, buying and selling and getting gain? The things of God had become or meant very little to them. And yet God's promise was there, held out, spelled out to them in the clearest and most beautiful language. Verse 14, delight thyself in the Lord God said and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it and surely here's a lesson to us today Peter in his epistles tells us that we now can occupy that position formerly held by God's people Israel we are now a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. This high and holy and exalted position to which Israel failed and refused to take up is now ours to accept or reject. And the promise of Isaiah 58 and verse 14 is now ours either to accept or to refuse. It's a pity that there's a break in these two chapters because our thoughts run on into chapter 59. Israel failed to use the honour bestowed upon her. And if we fail, then it will be entirely our fault. So why? Well, Isaiah 59 and uh, verse 1. Behold, we read, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. You see, God is 
willing and he's eager to bless men and women who will let him. And this is really what this chapter is telling us about. It's iniquity that separates us from God. Sin that causes his face to be hid from us. But God is constant. These are the things of which we're guilty. And it started, didn't it, right back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And it's been repeated ever since down through the centuries. In Genesis we read that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day as he'd done previously. To use the words of God in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1, the Lord's hand wasn't shortened. It was Adam and his wife Eve that were absent. They were the ones who had failed to keep their appointment. They were hiding or endeavouring to hide from the presence of God. And it was their iniquity, their sin, that had brought about this separation. Well then there follows in this chapter a whole list of sins and iniquities of Israel. Um, they are described beginning with um, that dreadful catalogue we read in chapter 1 of Isaiah and recurring throughout the book. And I don't want to dwell on them specifically this afternoon. But I think the most interesting and one of the most important things about this chapter in Isaiah is the way that the Apostle Paul uses it when he writes his epistle to the Romans and the third chapter. And Paul there in chapter 3 of Romans asks a question. He says, what advantage then hath the Jew? And he goes on to answer the question. Much every way, he says, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They failed in carrying out the main purpose to which they had been called. And Paul tells us they never attained to the stature of being a holy nation as God intended. But did that failure thwart God's divine purpose? In no way, Paul says. And then he asks us a question in verse 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? And again, he answers it. No, in no wise, he said, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then the Apostle Paul continues to quote from Isaiah chapter 59, the chapter we're looking at now, along with other quotations from, mainly from the Psalms. Well, let's have a look at uh, Romans uh, chapter 3 then, and verse 19. This is what he says. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And this is the, the Holy Spirit's commentary through the Apostle of Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 9 to 15. 
because we read in that chapter, therefore is judgment far from us. Neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. Our transgressions are multiplied. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as to our iniquity, we know them. And judgment is turned backward. Justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And this is the kind of mourning and of real sincere repentance which godly men have shown to us in many places in God's words. I want to take, for example, Daniel. We read in Daniel chapter 9 that he set his face to the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I want to pick up a few verses in Daniel chapter 9. This is what he said. I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And a bit further down in the same chapter, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And another example is Ezekiel, who we read sighed and he cried for the abominations done in Jerusalem. And it's in confessions like this that we see God's name exalted and acknowledged as a just God. These men knew why there was obscurity and darkness but sadly how many of the people they preached to had such an attitude of mind and so humanly speaking the position was hopeless and yet God's purpose had been established right back in the beginning 
The latter half of verse 15 of Isaiah 59 says, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And so, the next verse shows us the remedy. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was glad with, clad with zeal as a cloak. And it's the Lord Jesus who is the arm of the Lord, the intercessor, the redeemer, the avenger of the promise. And in figurative language we have described for us his armour, his equipment, his zeal and his determination to carry through this purpose to the culmination that God had foreordained. And the Apostle Paul takes hold of this very figure in, when he writes to the Ephesian church and he says these words in chapter 6 of Ephesians. He says, put on the whole armour of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God here then the disciple is instructed to equip himself in the same way in which his master was equipped Jesus we read, put on righteousness as a breastplate. And no weapon could penetrate that. He could say even to his most bitter opponents, which of you convicteth me of sin? And he put on the helmet of salvation upon his head. And again, the Apostle Paul takes hold of this figure, this time in the Thessalonians when he says let us put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation and Ephesians, in Ephesians he says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on he says the whole armour of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil what about vengeance then this is no part of our clothing. In fact, you remember when the Samaritans would not receive Jesus during his ministry, two of his disciples, James and John, wanted to bring down fire from heaven and consume them, as did Elijah. And they were rebuked by Jesus, weren't they? He said, ye know not what spirit ye are of. The Son of Man 
is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But God had said in Deuteronomy, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Modern theology, which largely turns its back on the Bible, has no time or place in its teaching for such a concept. In fact, the religious world holds its hands up in horror when even contemplating a God such as this. But, friends, God's word, the Bible, contains a clear message about this. Listen to some of these words. Those mine enemies that would not that I should roll over them, bring them and slay them before me. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra? I that speak in righteousness. I have trodden the winepress alone. I will tread them in mine anger. Their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. The day of vengeance is mine. I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. So the Bible makes it perfectly clear that it is one of the future works of the Lord Jesus Christ. But during his mission, ministry, the zeal of the Lord was exhibited by Jesus, wasn't it? For we remember that on one occasion he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple and said, Get ye hence, for it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and ye have made it a den of thieves. And it was only later that the disciples fully understood uh, what had happened, for hadn't it already been written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Well, that zeal, that vengeance, is shortly to be manifest in the earth again. We're going to look at Isaiah 59 now, verse 18. According to their deeds, God said, accordingly he will repay for to his adversaries recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay, will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And we're not left in any doubt about when this will be, are we? Because verse 20 says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with the Lord, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seeds, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. And it's the Apostle Paul who, who tells us of this time, doesn't he, when this will be fulfilled. He writes in Romans chapter 11, and has been talking about the casting off of the natural branches of the olive tree. And that severance would continue until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And the wild branches, the Gentiles, will be grafted in to the true olive 
and partake of the roots and the fatness of the tree to become the children of God by adoption and to be partakers even of the heirs of the promises made to the fathers promises involving everlasting life and eternal inheritance and then Paul quotes these verses from Isaiah 59 he says and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sin and verse 21 of Isaiah 59 says as for me this is my covenant with them saith the Lord my spirit that is upon thee that is after the repentance and after the cleansing of their uncleanness to which Zechariah had spoken my spirit we read is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth as it had done previously nor out of the mouth of thy seed nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed saith the Lord from henceforth and forever and this is none other than that new covenant of which Jeremiah in his prophecy speaks about and this is our final quotation Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31 these wonderful words behold we read the days come saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt which my covenant they break Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. And write it in their hearts. And will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And these things were written for our learning. So let's take to heart the lessons of these two chapters that we've been looking at this afternoon. And apply them to ourselves. Let's hold fast to that everlasting covenant to which we have been called through the good news of the gospel. Let it remain within us. That its words may become a powerful influence in our lives. And let's not treat the things of God lightly as did the nation of Israel. But let us thank our Heavenly Father every day of our lives for the wonder and the magnitude of our calling thank you we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads information about what we believe and details of our meeting times go to our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk